quiz time. Hey guys, how you going? Feeling okay? End of a busy school week. Where would you rather be than here? Rip that lollipop. Someone fix it later. Uh, I wonder when we talk to um, we talk to our students all the time uh, about what's going on for them, and something stuck out to me uh, a number of weeks ago. We said, uh, "Why do your parents get cross with you? Like, why do they get upset with you?" And they said, um, "Because they don't think our problems are big enough, and they don't think what we think matters." I'm here to tell you that what you believe matters. Uh, let me tell you a story. A young man grows up in a house, and early on, he feels the need to. Uh, he wants to be the center of attention so that people notice him. Spends a lot of time on social media. And he grows up and begins to be more and more exposed to right-wing theories about what is broken and wrong with America. He found more and more proof online that there are secret conspiracies happening in the underbelly of America, down and behind the scenes. And he thought that QAnon was the people that actually knew what was going on. So he believed them. And when Trump called for patriots to stop the steal, uh, he put on his Viking hat and animal skin clothing and was one of the people filmed in the Capitol building on January 26 during the insurrection at Washington, D.C. Jacob is someone who has to live with the consequences of what he believed for the rest of his life. What you believe matters. Likewise, a young woman grows up with a strange sense, a deep sense of the presence of God in her life. And she believes that God has uniquely called her to do good in, her, uh, in the world. So she goes to Ireland to study English so that she can be prepared for global mission work. And when she gets there, her heart breaks because she sees the poor. And she is deeply moved and convicted that she needs to do something about it. This woman becomes Mother Teresa and goes on to be one of the most significant figures that care for the poor and broken in our world. What you believe really matters. Uh, if what you believe matters, then it follows that what you are told matters and how you interpret, how you receive that matters and how you live matters. At Big Fridays, we're spending three evenings trying to unpack these ideas. How can we know what is true? How can we understand how we should live and act amidst all of these ideas that we are being told are true? We often, they often compete with one another. And what's more, they often play to our deep desires and wants. But what on earth does this have to do with Jesus and the devil? in the middle of the desert. Uh, you can chalk me up as a crackpot or a conspiracy theorist or whatever. I truly believe that the devil is real. There, I said it. I believe that the devil is real because that's what the Bible teaches. Uh, and the devil's favorite thing to do is to manipulate you into believing lies. Right? We see it with Adam and Eve in the garden. And what's more, he is really good at it. In fact, the Bible even says that when the devil speaks, uh, his native language is lies. When the devil lies, he speaks his native language. Lying for the devil 
comes as easily to you or to me as speaking. He uses sneaky ideas that play into our desires that are normalized in the world in order to drive us away from God. We can learn a lot from Jesus' resistance of the devil in the desert because he was lied to as well. The sweet talk that we're unpacking tonight is this lie of individualism. It's an idea that you and your needs are the most important thing in your life and that you should do whatever you want, so long as it doesn't hurt anyone. Uh, I'm sure you've heard that lie before, and Jesus is told the exact same thing. He's hit with this sweet talk all the way through the passage that we just read today. And I want to look at these lies that Jesus is told in reverse order. He's given at least three. Uh, so we're starting with lie three, but first, we need to establish some groundwork. Jesus has just been in the desert for 40 days, and he's been fasting, right? So he's hungry. He hasn't eaten for 40 days. Uh, but before that, immediately before he goes into the desert, he's just been baptized. And we get this picture. It's this amazing picture. Jesus comes up out of the water. And heaven opens, and we hear a voice saying, You are my son, and with you I am really pleased. I love you so much. That's the subtext. Heaven opens, the Spirit of God descends on Jesus like a dove. God's there, Jesus is there, the Holy Spirit is there, all of God is there. And all of these people are seeing that, and then immediately after that, that scene ends, and we cut to Jesus going into the desert to be tempted by the devil. The most obvious thing that Jesus should not do is bow down to the devil. Right? That's obvious. Do not bow down to the devil. And that is the last way, the final lie that he is tempted with. The final lie Jesus is given is that if he just makes a compromise, just one compromise, he can have what he really wants. The text says that Jesus takes, uh, the devil takes Jesus up to this high mountain, shows him all of the kingdoms of the world, and he says, if you bow down to me, I will give you all of these kingdoms. They will bow down and worship you. And that's what Jesus wants. This is Jesus' mission. He has come to earth to show people that he is God and that he is worthy of worship. The tempting offer to Jesus is to take a shortcut. No opposition. His friends don't have to betray him. He doesn't have to die. He gets everything he wants right now. And I bet that sounds pretty good to Jesus. That sounds pretty good to me. No opposition. Everything that you've ever wanted. And life is easy. I'd be tempted to take that. Everything that I ever wanted right now. I think we are the right now generation, right? I want my Amazon order tomorrow, ASOS, Iconic, delivered next day. I don't want to have to wait for buffering. I don't want to pay for shipping. And if I'm left on scene, like life might not go in. Yeah? I want everything now. We're told that we are important enough to have things straight away. But it's a lie. You can't have what you want right now. Sometimes you can't have what you want, ever. But we are led to believe that we can. The devil wants you to believe that you can. And he also wants to say that listening to him is the way to get it. That's the third lie. 
The second lie Jesus is told is that uh, God might not have his best interests at heart. God might not really be there for him. Jesus wants, uh, the devil wants Jesus to test the theory that God's really there for him. In our second scene, we see the devil uh, take, uh, take Jesus up to this really high place, the high mountaintop. And he says, if you throw yourself off, the Bible says that God will command angels to pick you up so that you are not harmed. And then Jesus says, it's also written, don't put God to the test. This is a little unusual. The devil says, like, go on Jesus, like, do it. Throw yourself off a high mountain. If God's really there for you, if God really loves you, he would save you. Now, this seems convincing, but this lie actually calls Jesus and God's character into question. It says that God's kindness and goodness, his love for you, is only there if he shows it to you when you want and how you want. This is a lie that we're tempted to believe too. If we can't see God working for my good, then maybe he's not working at all. Like I know Romans 8, 28 says that in all things God works for the good of those who love him, but I'm not really seeing it at the moment. And I know that Deuteronomy 31, 6 says that God will never leave me or forsake me, but right now I feel forgotten and forsaken. Maybe I do need to go alone. Maybe he's not there. This is a lie because your feelings aren't always the best indicator of what's true. You live your life thinking that you are the best judge of right and wrong, true and false, good and bad, then you may as well be God. This idea that God should show up how you want, when you want, is the second lie that Jesus is given. The first lie, I think, is the devil's sneaky, sneakiest. Right? He's fasting for 40 days. The text says, after Jesus was fasting for 40 days, he was hungry. Has the Bible ever stated something more obvious than if you haven't eaten for um, 40 days, you're hungry? The devil also then, uh, after he does that, he says, if you're the son of God, you see these rocks, turn them into bread. It's kind of a weird request that the devil gives Jesus. If you are the son of God, uh, turn these stones into bread. I think the devil's doing two things here, and they're kind of tricky. The first is he challenges Jesus' identity. He says, if you are the Son of God, the devil knows who Jesus is, and Jesus knows who Jesus is. Remember, back to his baptism, God says, you're my son, with you I'm so pleased. But the devil questions that. Now, I don't think uh, the devil actually is being all that sneaky. I think this is like his Logan Paul KSI trash talk when they're doing the face-off. You guys seen that on YouTube? I haven't. But I'm told it exists. Uh, don't think about that analogy too hard either. Neither of them are Jesus in this situation. Um, he says, if you are the Son of God, if you are the Son of God, turn these stones into bread. This is something that Jesus could absolutely do. This is something well within his power. And maybe you, like me, are thinking, what is the big deal? I always get hung up on this part of the passage. What is the big deal? 
Why can't he just turn stones into bread? Jesus isn't hurting anyone, and he is hungry, and he does have the power to eat. So why doesn't he? I think the answer to the question is that the lie devil, the devil is trying to trap Jesus with is a lie that we get stuck in all the time. If we want to do something, and we have the power to do it, then why shouldn't we just do it? What is wrong? Who cares who I have sex with? I'm not hurting anyone. Who cares what I watch? Not a big deal. Who cares about my screen time? I'm kind, of, I'm kind of free to do it. I'm not hurting anyone. It's actually pretty normal for people my age to sleep around and watch whatever they want for however long they want. We hear these lies all the time. So often, in fact, that we're starting to believe that they are true. Every moment of every day, you are told things that are based mostly in truth, but are twisted just a little bit into something that is not true. They're twisted in a clever way to make you buy something or say something or do something or act in a certain way. In the Bible, when Israel, God's people, got conquered, they got booted out into exile. Right? And the new kingdom, the place that conquered them, would take the best and brightest young men. And what they would do is they would put them in the king's palace, they would give them a new haircut, they would feed them on the king's food, and they would teach them the new language. And the purpose was to remove any idea that they used to be God's people, and to create for them a new identity, to reteach everything, to change their identity away from one sort of person into a completely different person. They're no longer people of God. They're now people of Babylon or Assyria or Persia or whatever it is. You are living in digital exile. Your average screen time, get this, is 7.6 hours a day. Have you got a better number than that? What is it? 9.9 hours a day. Okay, let, let's go with 7.6 to be conservative. I love that you're trying to outdo me when I'm trying to say that you guys are losing your minds. Um, you know that 7.6 hours is a whole work day? So when your parents go to work for a whole day, you're doing this, right? No, no, I'm not doing that. You spend more time on your phone in a weekend than you do at church or youth group in a whole term. Let that sink in. Based on that conservative estimate, you spend more time on your phone or screens or tablets or whatever in a weekend than you do at church or a youth group in a whole term. You are fed on a steady diet of streaming and likes and TikTok and all of those things which have ultimately, and this is based in science, have rewired your brain chemistry. They have changed your language, and they have ultimately changed your identity. There are people working to develop apps to make them easier to pick up and harder to put down so that you spend more time on your device. And what's more, on social media, you are being pushed to associate with people that look like you, that sound like you, and that think like you. 
They affirm the same things that you affirm. They believe the same things that you believe. But you're also told that you're special and you're unique and you need to live your truth. And the heart wants what the heart wants. And you have to cut out all the toxic people, which is just another word for people that disagree with you. And there's some truth in that, right? Because you are special. You are unique. All of these things are sneaky because they're based in truth, right? You're definitely important. There are some people that you shouldn't be friends with. And you do have the capacity to understand what is true. But my point is this. You are being formed by the world. You are told that you are the most important person in your story. That your desires, your needs, and your wants are the most important thing. And if God challenges them, then he can't be. So why should God care about me and what I do? I think Jesus gives a pretty good response, a pretty good answer in his response to the devil. Uh, he says, actually, the most important thing is not what I want in any given moment. My desires should not always deter determine my actions. Instead, the proper way to live is by following what God says. Jesus answered, it is written, man shall not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. Jesus challenges the lie that if you are not hurting anyone and you have the power to do something, then you should just do it. Yeah, he says that God's way is actually the best way to live. You and your desires are not necessarily the best indicator of what is right and do you know that uh, since you guys were born, advertisers have stopped selling things as single serve? They are now, do you know they are now? They're now individually wrapped, right? Do you know why? Because being single is lonely, but being an individual is like cool and inspiring. And then they know that, so they will sell you like your cheese individually wrapped because you're an individual and you're powerful and all that. But if you're eating single serve cheese, lonely and yuck and crazy, then you do that. Uh, so they have changed their language so that you can feel like you are living out your story. I think this is kind of a long form, a long term play from the devil to try and work to make people rely on themselves and not other people. To trust themselves, to decide what's right and wrong. And I think that the devil would love it if you called yourself an individual. That you stay true to yourself instead of listening to what God said was true. And why does Jesus respond by quoting the Bible at the devil? Is it just because that's like a Jesus-y thing to do? Or is it possible that he understands just how deep this lie goes? If you remember the first, uh, if you remember, first the devil challenges Jesus' identity, then tells him he needs to meet his needs in a way that won't hurt anyone. Why does he respond by saying man cannot live on bread alone? The devil is saying that all you need to live food, water, shelter, your basic needs. If you can meet your basic needs, you're living. Jesus, eat and you'll live. I think Jesus is saying that not eating is a sure way to die, but listening to lies is no way to live. He's saying there's far more to life than just meeting your desires. 
Jesus seems to have a different idea about living. Living is not just letting your desires roam free. Living is not doing what you want. Jesus' vision for living is following God's plan. I don't know if you knew this, there's actually increasing evidence from non-Christian researchers that living God's way is actually better as a way to live. So there's research coming out now that's saying, you should rest for one whole day a week. And I'm kind of like, sounds familiar. They're also saying stuff like, uh, life and your well-being is better when you only have one sexual partner in a long-term relationship. I'm like, oh, that's interesting. I feel like I've heard that before. So secular research is catching up to what Jesus has been saying for 2,000 years. What you believe matters. If you believe that you should be able to do whatever you want, whenever you want, that matters. It has real-life consequences. And if you believe that Jesus wasn't lying when he said the devil comes to steal, kill, and destroy, but I have come that you might have life and have it to the full, then that matters as well. The antidote to lies is truth. The antidote to individualism, deciding things for yourself, doing whatever you want so long as it doesn't hurt anyone. The antidote to that is the one person that did not let his desires inform his actions. His needs and his wants did not come first, but instead, he laid them down. He laid down his agency and his freedom for the sake of others. Guys, you're being bombarded by lies that are getting better and better at making you think that they're true. You need to be in a place where you're not isolated where you're not alone, where people will tell you the truth. You need to be in a community that lives as though what Jesus says is true. Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. He is the best way to live, and he will not lead you astray. Everything he says is true, even when we're tempted to think that Jesus is holding out on us. Jesus says he is the truth and the truth will set you free. And you need to be in a community that tells the truth. A community centered around the teachings of the truth. Our bent is to believe the lie that we should be able to do whatever we want, whenever we want. The Bible calls that sin. And the consequence of sin is death. But the Bible also tells us that there is a cure for sin. Jesus, in that when he didn't let his desires and wants come first on the cross, he actually died the death that sin caused, so that we don't have to. And in his death, he also died to form a new community called the church, a group of people that choose to listen to the truth. There is an invitation into that community tonight. Its invitation is always open. But the invitation tonight is to stop believing the lies that you are told. Because your actual needs, your deepest needs, you can't actually meet. You can't do it. You need help. Because your deepest needs, regardless of whether or not you believe this, is to 
have a relationship with the God that made you and loves you more than anything. You just have to say sorry to God for believing the lies you've been told. For living in a way that pleases you instead of pleasing God. Individualism doesn't work. It doesn't work. Deciding what to do does not work. As tempting as it is to believe, it does not lead to life. You need to deny yourself. You need to deny your ideas of what is right and what is wrong, and you need to trust Jesus and his definition of right and wrong. I want to invite you to do that tonight. This is not the only chance to accept Jesus' invitation to deny yourself, but it is a good chance. I'm going to invite the band up. We're going to sing that God is the only thing that we need. And then after that, I'm going to come back up. I'm going to pray for you. I'm going to offer you an opportunity to respond to Jesus. So as we're singing, I want you to think about what you're singing. Think about what you're doing. And if any of what we just read and heard about Jesus you think is true, then think about what that means. Think about what you actually have to do about what you just heard.